Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only thing necessary for evil to prevail is that good men and women do nothing. I am simply a mouthpiece for good men and women around the world who want to make a difference. The engagement and the involvement of ordinary people is what is going to change our criminal justice system. Many have tried and failed, but the only difference between them and me is I'm bringing an army with me. This is Truth and Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up for episode 313, Kenneth Ray Williams. I'm your host, Bob Ruff. And I'm your co-host, Mike Bussing. In today's episode, as always, we're going to go over your thoughts, theories, questions, and ideas regarding episode 313, along with any other questions that you might have. Yeah, Bob, we got a whole lot to talk about, so let's go ahead and get started. All right, sounds good. All right, before we get started today, let's go ahead and talk about CrimeCon. That's coming up, right? Yeah, we actually haven't really mentioned that on the show yet. But for those of you that don't know, Mike and I are both going to be in Indianapolis, Indiana on the weekend of June 9th and 10th for CrimeCon. For those of you that don't know what CrimeCon is, I'll read you right off their website. It's a weekend of motives, murders, and mystery. A celebration of all things true crime, CrimeCon brings the cases you love to life through immersive experiences, incredible guests. Mike, we're some of those incredible guests. That's us, right? We're the incredible ones. Right. And a ton of mystery and intrigue. It was created for those of us who binged on Making a Murderer and who spent hours watching Dateline marathons. And of course, it's becoming more and more all about the true crime podcasts. Some of the special guests that you can expect to meet at CrimeCon are everyone's favorite, Nancy Grace, who John Mankiewicz will be there from Dateline NBC, and of course our good friend Jim Clemente will be there. And speaking of Jim Clemente, and Mike, I haven't even told you this yet, Jim is going to be on our show in next week's Friday follow-up, following up on the Jesse Eldridge case after we have some new information now. And also, we're going to be talking about a brand new podcast that Jim's going to be launching the weekend of CrimeCon. Oh, wow. That sounds exciting. And yours truly may be doing a live recording with Jim during CrimeCon. There's going to be a podcaster's row, and that's where we'll be on Friday from 1 to 3. Mike will be in the booth, so you Mm -hmm. can just come meet Mike. And we've got some giveaways, stickers, t-shirts, things like that. And uh, we'll both be there on Saturday morning from 9 to 11, I think. Yeah. Uh, same thing on Podcasters Row. And in Podcasters Row, uh, we'll be there, of course. Brooke Giddings is going to be there. I believe Payne Lindsay is going to be there. The list just goes on and on. Like Literally, if you go to their website, crimecon.com, you'll just see this massive list of everybody that's going to be there. You can even meet people like Jim Fitzgerald, you know, the guy that caught the Unabomber. Remember, Jim is one of the FBI profilers that actually profiled the writings of the Unabomber in order to find him. Effley Bailey's going to be there from the O.J. Simpson case. J. 
James Renner from the Missing Maura Murray podcast. Again, I don't want to go on all day long telling you all these people, but there's going to be a whole lot of cool people and a whole lot of the personalities from the podcast that you listen to mm-hmm. that are going to be at CrimeCon that weekend. So again, it's the weekend of June 9th, 10th, and 11th. It's in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I think, Mike, didn't they give us a promo code for our listeners? Yep, the promo code is TRUTHJUSTICE20. That's truth, the word, justice, the word, no space, all lowercase, and the number 20. TRUTHJUSTICE20, and what do they get if they use that? If you use the promo code, you'll get 20% off admission to CrimeCon. Awesome. So yeah, so come check us out. We'd love to meet all of you guys there. Again, remember, Friday, it will be only Mike there. Uh, I may be around later that evening, but I just can't get there by the 1 to 3 o'clock time for the meet and greet. But I will most certainly be there the next morning, myself and Mike, from 9 to 11. And I'm sure we'll be hanging out long after that. I actually have a wedding to go to in Indianapolis that evening. But Mike will be hanging out most of the day there. So come on down. Get to know us. Meet us. Uh, We might have a t-shirt for you. We've got some stickers. Take some selfies with us. All that cool stuff. And meet all of these different podcasters that you guys love to meet. So again, that's CrimeCon. If you want to register, it's CrimeCon.com. And if you want 20% off of that, you can use promo code. What was the promo code again, Mike? TruthJustice20. TruthJustice20 for 20% off of your admission to CrimeCon. And we hope to see you guys there. Okay, so let's move along now to social media. Bob, we had a little confusion about you mentioning Kenneth Ray Williams' knife being placed into evidence during Jesse Eldridge's trial. If I remember, there were three knives admitted at trial, and I think a few listeners were confused on where those three knives originated. So could you break down where each of the three knives came from? Yeah, so, and I did in this episode, I mentioned that in one of Kenneth Ray Williams' assault, there was a knife that was a knife that was admitted into evidence at Jesse's trial. You had to go back a few episodes where we talked about the evidence that was all admitted in the trial, and there were three knives. So one of the knives was the one that was found in Kiao's hand. One of the knives was the one found at Christine's apartment that she said could not have been Jesse's because he'd never been in her apartment. Might have been Troy's because he'd been in there, mm-hmm. but seemed to be unrelated to the case at all. And then the third knife was the one that Kenneth Ray Williams used in his, I believe, it was a sexual assault a couple of months after the murder. And again, that one wasn't necessarily involved in the murder at all. It was the same. It was it was the proper shape of a knife that could have been used to make most of those stab wounds. Right. It was just like a standard steak knife. Uh, but the thing was, at, at that time, when Watts took over the case, he he was looking into Kenneth Ray Williams pretty hard at that point. You know, he made him take a lie, or he asked him, and he agreed to take a lie detector test. He was interviewing him. He was interviewing all these other witnesses. So he thought that Kenneth Ray Williams might have had something to do with it, and then looks into his past and finds out shortly after this, he committed a robbery and had a knife. So he had pulled that knife to have it tested for forensic evidence to see if maybe it had anything to do with Keow's case. Turns out it didn't, or at least there was nothing found indicating that it did. And then for some reason, the, the whole trial was like a big horse and pony show. And that's why a lot of this gets so confusing. And, yeah. wait, and, and wait until the next couple of weeks when, you know, all the stuff that we picked up in the trip this week. Yeah. It's just so convoluted. And there were so many games being played to try to really hide the truth is mm-hmm. what was happening. Uh, yeah, so this knife was placed into evidence really for no reason, just to say that, hey, this was Kenneth Ray Williams' knife, and it wasn't his. So there was no DNA. There was nothing linking that knife to the crime whatsoever. Nothing at all. It's the same thing with the knife found at Troy's apartment. And those knives were introduced by the prosecutor. And the only reason I can assume why they did that was, number one, to make it look like there was more evidence than there was. Mm-hmm. I mean, because their case was was as simple as saying, Troy says I saw him do it. Mom said she knew in her heart he did it. That's their case. And so it's it's almost like it's like smoke and mirrors. Like, here's another knife and here's another knife uh, for us to put into evidence. And they, they don't mean anything at all. 
Uh, also, I think it was probably to try to head off the defense's you know, the defense obviously was going to put Kenneth Ray Williams on the stand and present him as an alternate suspect to, uh, to create an alternate theory as part of their defense. And so I think they wanted to get out in front of that and say, hey, here's a knife that was Kenneth Ray Williams and it has nothing to do with this murder, I guess. But yeah, uh, yeah it's a little it's, it's hard to really explain why that was done, because there's not much rhyme or reason or logic to it. OK, moving forward, we also had some listeners wondering about Kiao's past where they talked about her son, Tong. A lot of people were referencing Kenneth Gove's obituary from the fan page. One listener asked, is this Kiao's biological son that Kenneth adopted, or did Kenneth adopt a boy on his own after Kiao's passing? At this point, Bob, do we know anything else about Tong? Did he ever live in the U.S.? Is he alive, dead? What do we have on Tong? I don't know much about Tong, but I I did want to point out, I was just looking through the website while you were talking Okay. Uh, for CrimeCon, and yep. Lisa Zambetti and Laura Richards are also both going to be there. Oh, that'll be really awesome. And not related to what you just asked me at all. That's fine. Yeah. But uh, re- <laughs> gearing up for CrimeCon. Right. I was just kind of scanning it, but uh, awesome. Looking forward to seeing them again. Anyway, uh, no, we don't know much about Tong. I don't know anything about Tong. So I, I saw that in the, in the obituary, and it says that uh, Kenneth was survived by his son, Kirby, Kirby's wife. And their adopted son, Tong, who resides in Thailand, I think it said. Yeah. And that's all we know. And, and of course, like I said earlier, I, I, I spoke with Kirby prior to starting the show. And he kind of sounded like he'd be willing to talk to me. Has not spoken with me since then. I've sent him several emails and no responses. So, I mean, it's possible he's not getting them, but I, I just don't want to push him. But in any case, Kirby would probably be the only person that has that information. So, at this point, we don't know anything about Tong. If he ever lived here, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about him. Do you think you might look into trying to get a hold of Kirby? Maybe. The thing is, like, I don't want to I don't want to disrupt people's lives any more than I have to. So, like, Kirby's aware of what we're doing. He knows how to get a hold of me if he wants to talk. He clearly doesn't. And so, like, like just like with Tong. So, I mean, we it, it'd be interesting. We can chase down this lead, so to speak, and find out everything we can find out about Tong. But he clearly doesn't have anything to do with this crime. So why I just I just don't see the benefit in bothering with doing that, mm-hmm. I guess, if that makes sense. No, yeah, definitely. Okay, thanks for that, Bob. Let's move on. All right, real quick before we do that. Okay. Sorry, and this is the last time I'll inter- interject with CrimeCon stuff, but I found the spot on the website where it lists the different podcast hosts that will be there. So the Gen Y guys will be there, Justin and Aaron. So I'm looking forward to actually meeting them in person. Twisted Philly, last podcast on the left, Insight, of course, Real Crime Profile accused already gone true crime garage suspect convictions uh pain Lindsay will be there with up and vanished um i'm looking forward to meeting pain in person as well curiosity kills uh, again missing murray murray the vanished uh actual innocence that's brooke who also was doing convicted and the unsolved podcast just to name a few so okay i'm done with crime con i'm really i'm just really excited about this event yeah it should be a good time and it seems like there's gonna be a lot of names there yeah, like I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of these other podcasters, and any chance I get to meet fans is always always really cool. So June 9th and 10th. Be there, be square. Yeah, crime con. <laughs> Truth, justice, 20. 20% off. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, this week you went to Pleasant Grove, Texas to conduct interviews and revisit the crime scene. And to bring the listeners along for the ride, you periscoped the event. Your periscope of the crime scene was really cool and pretty eye-opening. First, something I noticed even the last time I was at Pleasant Grove with you, uh, and a few listeners mentioned this after watching the periscope, was that in the video, Pleasant Grove, or at least the area around Spruce High School, didn't look too bad. It wasn't like a ghetto. Most of the cars looked decent. The houses didn't look too run down. I was just expecting it to look a little more run down. Could this be that crime is actually maybe shaping up since even the 90s when Keogh's murder occurred? Or do you think maybe it's still present, just not so common until maybe nighttime? What do you think? I don't know, because like you said, at a glance, you look at those houses and they're, it's a nice little suburban neighborhood, probably moderate income, middle-class neighborhood. And we noticed that too, but then you, you heard in, I think it was episode 301, the very first episode of the season, our reaction, we're like, oh, these are really, oh, wait, look. And there's bars the, on the windows. The bars on the windows, yeah. Right. And so, but it, no, it doesn't look bad. One interesting thing is apparently there's, remember, remember we saw a couple of dogs just like laying around? Uh, yeah, we, some stray dogs it looked like. Apparently that's like a thing in Pleasant Grove. And we'll talk about it a little more probably Sunday in Sunday's episode. But one of the people I spoke with at the Spruce High School this week uh, was telling me that people used to walk around with carrying sticks because there were so many uh, stray dogs in the neighborhood. Mm. But no, it doesn't look bad when you're walking around. It, I mean, as far as aesthetics. But then, you know, like I said, when I talked to the guys at the firehouse and they're like, oh, be careful. Make sure you're carrying if you're over there and don't go to that house because they'll shoot you and they're dealing drugs out of this house. So I, I guess I, I don't know what the, a bad neighborhood looks like. Sure. But there are some pretty high crime statistics in the neighborhood. Clearly, the residents are concerned. They've got bars on their windows and things. And the guys at the firehouse told me that it's kind of a rough neighborhood. And, and, I, and I don't necessarily think that means the the one block around Spruce High School. Because really, there's only houses on one street of the four. I guess two, the front one, too, around the high school. Because Grady Lane has houses for half of it before Apache. And then across the street in St. Augustine Road, there's houses across the street over there. But the one side is the backyards of everybody on Mark Street. And the other side has the apartments and the student parking lot. And that's it. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of actual houses right there, just that one little strip. Sure. A listener named Joel Hawkins wrote asking if anyone knew the direction that Kia was walking when she was killed. I know we've talked about this on other shows, but one thing that Joe noticed here was that there was a one-way street in the area. And maybe if you knew which one-way street that was, we could sort of deduce which direction Kia was walking if she was going down that one-way street. Yeah, I don't I don't know. And I'm hoping maybe even later today, you know, I, I just for the listeners when we're recording this, I just got back and basically walked into the studio and we started working on this. So the one way street was the street on the west side of the high school. That's Crenshaw. And that's the road that Jesse's apartment is on. OK, uh, that's one way going north only. Uh, and that road tees into Grady Lane and Kiao's house would be just you know kind of kitty cornered off to the right across the street there. So it's it's she's almost directly across the street from where Crenshaw hits Grady. Okay. She's one house down. 
So yeah, that road is one way, but I I don't see how that narrows down what direction she was walking at all. Because I mean, I guess you could say maybe she wants to try to walk against traffic, but she's not walking in the street. Remember, there's a, there's a there's a sidewalk all the way around the school, so traffic really is irrelevant. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that gives us any indication one way or the other. Her husband said it was never, you never knew. Someday she walked this way, someday she walked the other way. But I think we may actually be able to speak with some of the staff that saw her that morning here in the next couple of days, I'm hoping. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. I'm definitely looking forward to making those phone calls. Okay, so at one point we know a rape kit was tested on Kiel, and this guy listeners talking. They assumed a rape kit would swab and test all the orifices on Kiel's body, including her mouth. And now that we've discovered Kenneth Ray Williams' M.O. of forced oral sex, you could obviously see why it would be important to know if her mouth got tested or not. So, Bob, do we know if her mouth was tested for DNA or if testing of her mouth was included in the rape kit? What have we got there? Typically, a rape kit is going to involve swabs of vaginal, oral, and anal. I, I don't think I've actually seen this report to know specifically where it was swabbed, but I'm assuming it was, but that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, Elnora Griffin was swabbed mm-hmm. also, you right. know, and the rape kit came back negative. So they're testing for spermatozoa, really, is what they're testing for. Yeah. Uh, so is, that would mean someone would have had to have ejaculated in order for there to be anything to come up positive on that. But, I mean, I personally believe that our season two case, Elnora Griffin, I believe there's zero possibility that there wasn't sex of some kind. I mean, there's a, there's a semen stain on the bed right there. Right. And so that kind of shows you how accurate a rape kit is. Right. So just because they don't get a hit on anything from the rape kit doesn't mean that uh, some form of sex didn't happen. Right. I mean, think of... The, so it's testing for sperm. So what if they were wearing a condom? What if they didn't ejaculate? Mm. What if they did and it that doesn't stain your orifice, especially a mouth, forever... You know, it's going to be spit. It's gross. I don't want to get into it. But right. I mean, there's there's plenty of reasons why, especially orally, why a rape kit may come back negative when there indeed was oral sex, okay. for sure. Sure. All right. And then before we get into the voicemail, can you tell us anything about your most recent trip to Texas? I know we saw the Periscope, and I think that just sort of got everybody excited about it. So can you share anything with us about what you did on this last trip? Oh, what could I tell you without spoilers? Uh, you know, there's really a not. I can I can tell you that I did go into Grady Spruce High School and was pleasantly surprised at how welcoming they were and how willing the staff at Grady Spruce was willing to help. You know, I expected them to tell me just get the hell out of here. <laughs> no, right. you're not one. But I'll tell you that we spent about an hour and a half in the school, uh, and we'll talk about that experience more on Sunday's episode. Uh, met some new people. I was put into contact with some witnesses we've been looking to talk to for a long time, people that just kind of fall off the radar, uh, you know, like Randy Poteet, I'll give you as one example, who was the security guard at the time, uh, was one of the people that went out to the scene while Keo's body was still there, would really know kind of who the hoodlums were and what the talk was around the school. Yep. Haven't been able to find him. You know, he's an older man. He's kind of off the grid, uh, but, you know, the old... Word of mouth, going old school, speaking to a person who knows a person who knows a person, and now we have Randy's phone number. He's one of those people that we want to talk about. Did uh, make a trip out to Troy's trailer, which we'll talk about Sunday, and uh, spoke with someone I wasn't planning on speaking to that is pretty groundbreaking that we'll talk about on Sunday also. Awesome. I can't wait to hear what happened between you and Troy, and I think a lot of people are really excited to hear how that went down, especially after you ended that last episode by calling him out. 
Well, you'll find out on Sunday. You already know. <laughs> yeah, I do, but these people don't. Right. <laughs> Let's take a break for the ads and then get into the voicemail. Perfect. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, Mike, before we get going on the voicemails, last week a listener had some questions about the historical weather data as far as what time the sun came up and what the skies looked like that day, and you promised to pull that up. So do you have the historical weather data for July 25th, 1991? I sure do. You told me to look it up, and I looked it up. Okay, so we have the sunrise at 6.36 a.m. So that is about one hour before the murder. That's what I thought I remembered, because she was killed somewhere right around 7.30. And then the big question is, so the sun's still low then. Yep. It's not high in the sky yet. And then the other question was, were there clouds in the sky? Was it a clear day? It was cloudy. Weather Underground says mostly cloudy skies. Yeah, and I was looking at that, and it, and it goes, the Weather Underground if you pull up a particular day, breaks it down hour by hour by hour. So that was, I believe it said mostly cloudy skies from 6 a.m., 7 a.m., and 8 a.m., and then it cleared up a little bit later. Yeah, so at the time of the murder, it was overcast. Good, so that answers that question. And I know we didn't have a whole lot of voicemails this week, did we? No, just one that hasn't already been answered. This one's from Albert. Hey, this is Albert. I sure hope this is truth and justice. Otherwise, I'm waking somebody up. Um, that is not the only episode of the first 48 that's, uh, taken place in Pleasant Grove. There's an episode called Safe House, which is a really exciting episode because you get to watch the detectives, uh, some guy gets murdered on his porch, they go in, and detectives find a cell phone or five cell phones, and they find two safes. You notice that there's numbers, not phone numbers, but number numbers on the cell phone, so he decides to try opening the safe with the cell phone numbers, and it works. And there's a bunch of scales and a million dollars in cash in the safes in the safe house. And the dude that killed the guy on his porch lives like six blocks away from the high school in uh, Pleasant Grove. Um, if I have a question, it would be there's a form on your website. Uh, when people submit to it, do you guys see those messages? I left a message about Whipplehead, uh, the, the prosecutor in Tyler, Texas, or, because uh, uh, he's in an episode of, I guess it's 48 Hours or something, um, about the dude that killed his mom and blamed it on a VCR. Anyway, there's a form on your website. I don't know if you guys get that message, those messages or not. All right, love your show. My name's Albert. Take care. All right, thanks, Albert. So he had three things, basically, that he was talking about there. Uh, one is the fact there's another episode of the first 48 from Pleasant Grove. He said it's called Safe House. Now, I haven't seen this one yet, so I will check it out. But I guess Google the first 48 Safe House. And it seems like it seems like on the social media that quite a few people started watching the other first 48 we talked about last week. Yeah, Murder in Pleasant Grove. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it is like it's I've had several people like sending tweets and stuff saying it's just creepy when you see it's these group of people. And then you see the tattoo of the Grove rat on the guy. That that's the background behind the the meth dealers there was the Grove Rats. Uh, but yeah, I guess check out uh, Safe House of the First 48. 
And his question about the form on the website, the submission form, uh, we get that every once in a while. And so here's the thing. Yes, it works. We get them all. And Mike reviews them. And then he sends some over to me and some he responds to. But what you have to realize is literally hundreds per day. Yeah, there are always enough emails to go around. Yeah, and so just because we may not email you back, and to be honest with you, it's probably, I don't know, probably 10% get an email back. For the most part, they just kind of get read, indexed. We decide if it's something we need to use for the show or if it's something that requires a response. I mean, Mike has to go through all those and kind of figure those out. Sometimes there's other inquiries there for me that need to get forwarded on to me or people who have resources. So a lot of times if somebody's calling in with you know some information or a theory, they all get read, they all get discussed, but we just there's just no way. We'd have to hire three more people sitting in here all day to respond to every single email that comes through. Yeah, we do get all the messages, but this is a great example of the ones we may not respond to. Right, because this one, this actual episode, which I find it funny, he he says the one about the Whipplehead, I think is what he said mm-hmm, from, yeah. from Smith County, from Tyler, Texas. Uh, I assume he's referring to David Dobbs there. I can't really, that's what it looks like to me. Yeah, it definitely is. But that episode, we've actually talked about that episode on the show last season. Uh, And and it's not the first 48. That's actually the Forensic Files. There's an episode about Tyler, Texas. I want to say it was like season one, episode seven, or vice versa. I can't remember now. Yeah, and it featured a quote-unquote young David Dobbs, right? Right, right. And and that was the ones I brought it up because there was such a contrast there. So you had, at the time, we were working on Kenny Snow's case. You have Kenny Snow, poor black guy convicted of robbing two people for a total of like less than a thousand dollars yeah sentenced to 40 years in prison you have uh the case that this episode is referring to is a rich white guy who brutally shoved his elderly mother over a stair rail down the stairs to kill her for life insurance money blamed it on a she was holding a vcr or something which was ridiculous uh but brutally and premeditatively kills his elderly mother by throwing her down the stairs, convicted, guilty, sentenced to 35 years. So rich white guy, brutal premeditated murder, 35 years in Smith County. Poor black guy steals 1500 bucks, 40 years. Oh, wow. So that's how that had come up before. So that's another good one. I don't remember off the top of my head the name or what it was, but it was in the forensic files. I know it was one of those shows. I think I found it on Netflix. And uh, anyway, that that's what he's referring there to there. But and, and then getting back to your point, too, with all the emails. So sometimes, like, if you send that email, it's interesting. We already know about it. We've already addressed it. So we do read it, but it's just we just don't have time to respond to all of those. So hopefully everybody understands that, that they may not get a response, but we are reading them all. Yeah, I would really hope so. All right. And like you said, I'm looking through the voicemails here, and most of them have already been covered. Uh, I did see on the fan page there's been some discussion going on. Listener Paul Day has gotten into a lot of discussions. He is the professor that taught Low Daniels, that hooked us up with Low Daniels uh, from the area. So go on to the fan page and, ch- and check this out because people are really starting to get into discussions and debates about the possibility of Kenneth Ray Williams being the prime suspect as opposed to the Grove Rats and the white Z28 Camaro. And there's, you know, it's, it's all speculative at this point, but it's interesting to see everyone's different perspectives on this. I don't think anybody's drawn any conclusions yet, but there are a few people that are just convinced that there's just no way that it could be the Grove Rats and that Kenneth Ray Williams is the better suspect and vice versa. And I guess some of the questions that I was seeing, they weren't really directed towards us, but I was just reading in the comments were in order to believe that Kenneth Ray Williams is the suspect, we have to let a lot of things go. 
And I agree with that. So so in order for Kenneth Ray Williams to be the man who committed this murder, we have to assume that Jesse James Wendell is either A, lying about the white Z-28 Camaro, which I don't think any of us believe that he's lying about it, but that he had the wrong day, the wrong woman, the wrong time, something as far as when that abduction he witnessed occurred to take the white Z-28 Camaro out of the scenario. And then also we kind of got to decide that our criminal behavior analysis, the profile that Jim Clemente gave and the amateur one that I gave would kind of have to be, I I don't know, thrown out the window, but to say that they don't really add up, which is possible. You know, criminal profiling is not, and and Jim Clemente will tell you the same thing. You know, there's a lot of people that get really hyped up about profiling that, well, that's not science and you think it's science. Well, if you ever listen to Jim, he'll tell you it's not science. They're looking at probabilities. You know, this isn't empirical data. They're looking at the behaviors of offenders over long periods of time and careers and what behaviors seem to indicate what type of offender and which victims, what type of victimology, which typically is kind of like looking into the mirror of the killer, points towards them. So the profile could suggest that we're looking for you know, a group of young, criminally inexperienced people. And it could turn out it was an older, criminally experienced man who committed the murder. You know, you just you just don't know. You can never say with 100% assurity. We're just giving these are the probabilities as to where we would start looking if we didn't have any other leads. That's what profiling is. So anyway, jump on the fan page. Check out those discussions. Get involved. I have seen on the fan page a little bit. Some of those discussions get kind of nasty. People really start defending their opinions. And, and so I, I guess I would say now I don't moderate the fan page. I have nothing to do with it. I do like to get in and look at it, but I, I guess if it matters for me to make a plea to say, let's try to be, you know, let's let's try to not let this be like a lot of the other discussion boards for anything. People always kind of start to get nasty and not, let's not make it a nasty place. Let's like it, make it a place where everybody's comfortable to express their opinions and leave personal attacks and things aside. It, it hasn't been bad. I've seen much, much, much worse, but I just, uh, I would like to say that because it kind of bothers me sometimes when I'm, yeah. when I'm reading through the fan page. It's like, oh, come on. Now don't start calling people names. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to take a second real quick to thank Chris Brinkley for basically putting out fires on the fan page and the other social media outlets, because sometimes the conversations do get a little out of hand and people lose sight of why we're here. Why we're here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and thanks, Chris. Chris moderates the the fan page. Chris again is also our web guy at civilconsultants dot com, and I think I think we should go ahead and wrap this thing up. Sounds good. Okay, so make sure before we close things out, you tune in on Sunday. We're gonna walk you through step by step my trip to Texas. So I've got a lot of audio to go through, and while Mike's editing this to piece together this week's episode, uh, but you're gonna kind of walk along with me through my trip to Texas, and we're gonna hear from some new characters. And uh, I think that you're going to be a little bit blown away by what we found out in Texas this week. So that's all we have for today. And hopefully you tune in on Sunday. Truth and Justice is a production of New Beginning Incorporated. Michael Bussing is our executive producer. All music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. For all of you aspiring podcasters out there, anybody that has a special event, go check out PutThemInASong.com. Shane works with a very talented group of Nashville musicians. They'll write custom music for you for your wedding, your anniversary, a birthday, whatever it is. And also Put Them In A Song is writing custom intros and outros and scoring music for podcasts. There's a lot of things to do on PutThemInASong.com. Shane's a great guy. He works with a very talented group of people. And whatever your music needs are, PutThemInASong.com can help you out. 
I want to thank, as always, Chris Brinkley of sylviaconsultants.com for creating, managing, and maintaining our website. Thank you to Tate Krupa for designing and creating our logo. And thank you to our transcription team, Desiree Dunn, Sarah Hoyt, and Sarah Mueller for transcribing all the episodes. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and involvement. As always, you can always send your thoughts, theories, and ideas to us at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can join the discussion on the Truth and Justice Podcast fan page on Facebook. You can like our Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Jimmer Jammer. Yeah. Jimmer Jammer. Jimmer. Jimmer Jammer. Was his last name Jammer? The guy from Jimmer S- Jimmer Nagonomy from Menominee. Um you should swap chairs. With with the one across from you. With the one across from me. Okay. All right. Because that one's squeaking. Sounds like a baby crying. Old JF gonna be down at Crime Count yeah. twenty seventeen. Nick's your line there. Seriously? <laughs> I don't know what to say. Do you want to? No, it's fine. Uh, okay. You listen to it and decide if I put a nice button on it before All right. you said what you said. Can't wait to see everybody. And I just can't wait. Ran myself out of breath. <laughs> right, and we actually have one, too. You could have went into Quentin's room and slept on a Casper mattress. I didn't tell you that. I know. Maybe just cut that hole. That's yeah, yeah, weird. yeah. That's dumb. Weird. Dumb. Right. Okay. Sleep in my boy's room. Yeah, there, yeah, right. I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Bob, you got a radio voice so you can get away with saying whatever you want, but that one crosses the line. <laughs> Sleep in my boy's room. <laughs> okay, here we go. What have you got to lose? Sleep? <laughs> no, it's terrible. Sorry. No.